Welcome to the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine. UX introduces a simple formula for personal and business growth based around one principle. We can't solve big, valuable problems alone. Starting with this principle, UX equips and empowers us to pour ourselves into people and systems, scale authentically, and create a life of exponential freedom and impact. And now, let's get started with the latest episode of the UX Podcast. Hey, what's up, Rockstars? Matt Johnson here, back with another great conversation for you with Ken Lazat of, in this particular case. Ken is an extremely interesting guy. He's been working behind the scenes to help coaches and experts and business consultants get published. And he has an amazing track record, 20 plus years of uh, never failing to get one of his clients published and does a lot of work with McGraw-Hill, you know, probably the top business publisher uh, in the country or maybe in the world even, um, especially for business-specific books. And so we're going to talk a little bit of inside baseball. So Ken's going to share like the inside scoop on major label publishing. Uh, there's a couple things that really jumped out to me. So number one is there's really one key thing that we can put into a book proposal that will absolutely tip the scales in our favor in terms of actually landing a publisher, right? So there's one thing that we can put in our book proposal. We also talk about why first-time authors actually have a better chance of landing a publisher than multi-time authors in certain cases. And the key factor that event planners are looking for when they book a speaker. This, so this is really, really high-level stuff, uh, whether you uh, are going out there and doing speaking engagements, whether you already have a book and you're looking to land a publisher, or you are thinking of writing a book and you're debating on whether to go self-publishing, major label publishing, or some sort of hybrid, this is a conversation to absolutely listen to. One of the, one of the things that really jumped out to me was the, the bigger the publisher, not only is it not true that we can sit back and let them handle it, it's actually the opposite. So the bigger the publisher, the more overhead, the more expectations they're actually going to have on us as authors, which I thought was very counterintuitive. I've never heard anybody else say that before. Ken breaks down exactly why that is. So this is an incredible like kind of inside baseball episode on book publishing for business authors. So I don't care whether you're a coach, consultant, expert, if you whether you run a digital marketing agency or a creative agency, we need to have a book. It's becoming a calling card or almost a resume, uh, almost, and, and we talk about it in the episode, kind of why that has become that way. So I'm excited for you to dive in with this episode with Ken Lazat. You can check him out at thoughtleading.com. All right, let's jump into the conversation with Ken. Well, first of all, Ken, just wanted to, uh, to welcome you to the show. I really appreciate your time and thanks for being here. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So we, we connected uh, in, an, in an interesting way and, and it turns out we kind of serve a little bit of the same client base and a lot of those same people and types of people are going to be listening to the podcast, which is what kind of caught my eye because you have a really interesting track record. Um, and we talk a little bit about the, that in the introduction. And uh, so you're obviously deeply embedded in the publishing game. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, how to turn your intellectual property into speaking engagements, which is kind of where I want to start because you've literally written the book on that. So what are some of the things or, or maybe the key thing that determines whether you can take your intellectual property and actually pass it in such a way that somebody wants to put you on a stage? What are the, some of the things that you feel like really work versus what doesn't work? Well, I, I guess to start actually with the publishing thing, uh, as far as that uh, question goes and the answer, and that is to have a book. You don't necessarily have to have a book absolutely in all cases. Um, you can certainly get, I'm sure many of the viewers, listeners here have um, done speaking engagements, even though they don't have a book. But there, is, there are an awful lot of venues 
more and more actually that now uh, require uh, one to be an author. And the reason for that is, is twofold. One is with the, the larger uh, uh, venues like the national conferences and uh, professional audiences that are really trying to uh, pull an audience uh, in. They, they're they're going to want uh, keynoters or even breakout sessions or panelists or whatever to be authors because the author tends to come with its own, with his or her own um, audience or fan base or whatever, so to speak. There's this, mm. It may not be, uh, you know, a, a rabid following, but it certainly is uh, likely to be something that's more... Uh, um, uh, there, there's, there's more notoriety. So that brings in uh, uh, attendees, presumably. Um, uh, so the other thing, though, is that event planners, they told me when I wrote my book, The Speaker's Edge, they told me that, some of them told me that uh, it's great to have a speaker who is an author because they can then identify really quickly what this person is going to speak about, what's the topic. They can do that either by asking them or by the information that the speaker sends them or just by flipping over to Amazon. And then Amazon, and that first uh, title, subtitle, um, the first paragraph of the description of the book or whatever, bang, they know what, what the, uh, the topic would be about and what the speaker's expertise would be about. And, uh, but, you know, with so many books being published now, more and more and more, it's almost getting to be like a resume or a website uh, in a lot of ways. It's, it's really good to have a book. Uh, uh, an event planner might wonder why you don't have a book if uh, you're proposing yourself uh, to come and speak there. So, mm. so that's really a, uh, becoming a major uh, tool and credential. Okay. And in the first part of the book, The, the Speaker's Edge, um, I talk about, uh, uh, I have this chapter, I say, putting your ducks in a row. And it's, it's, it's all about setting things up and uh, what it, you know, how do you set yourself up to be a speaker? Um, you've got to decide on what your target audience is. You've got to decide on what your main, uh, your topics might be, you know, three, four or five different potential topics. Um, but another is this matter of having a book. If you don't have one, you'll still get some speaking engagements, but you won't get the big ones and, and you even won't get a lot of the smaller ones because even local groups more and more are looking for authors. Yeah, which, which makes sense. Uh, I mean, it's, it's supply and demand, right? Um, you know, just like college degrees were once rare yeah. and extremely valuable. And then the, the easier it got to get a degree, the more it became table stakes. You know, it was, it was kind of part of just part of the barrier to entry. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the publishing side a second, because you mentioned, you know, it's, it's becoming almost a requirement to get the speaking engagements. Uh, event planners and people on the inside of booking speaking engagements, do they know and care about the publishing houses? Do they, do they understand kind of the hierarchy of who publishes books and yeah, they the to, is that a credibility indicator or not? Yeah, so like a name brand, for example, McGraw-Hill, for example, something yeah. that one's heard of. Well, yes and no. I mean, I'll, you know, it's kind of like, um, uh, where did you go to college? And if you went to college at Harvard or Yale or Princeton, then that obviously raises my eyebrows a little bit uh, and gives you a credibility bump. Um, more so than if you went to, uh, you know, uh, Hugo James uh, Junior College or something like right. that. 
there's no such place as far as I know. So, <laughs> okay. so, so uh, we insult a college, just make sure it's a fictional one, right? <laughs> right. But, um, but, you know, it's kind of like that. So, for example, um, The Speaker's Edge, with my current book, was published by Maven House Press. Now, you've never heard of Maven House Press. I know you have. They're a smaller publisher. They've been out. They've been around for only three, four, five years. Um, but they're a very good publishing house, but you haven't heard of them. But um, the, my previous book, The Expert's Edge, was published by McGraw-Hill. Now, you know, I got to tell you that when I'm speaking or, or you know, my website and my promotional material and my conversations with people and what I'm doing, I'm going to do it right now. I dropped the name of McGraw-Hill. I'm a McGraw-Hill author. That doesn't mean all my books are published by McGraw-Hill, but McGraw-Hill is the one business publisher, the one business publisher that everyone has heard of. Not sure why, but it's true. Mm -hmm. And I know this because I take little surveys when I do, do, uh, um, seminars and things and let's say how many people raise your hands if you've ever heard of McGraw Hill we can tell your tell our listeners right now to raise their hands and everyone out there is raising their hand um, the second best known is is Wiley and on, but not everybody raises their hands which actually shocked me yeah. when I started doing this um, 99% do but but anyway yeah, that, that, that makes sense to me yeah, because yeah, I, I remember my friend telling me, uh, uh, this was like a year ago or so, um, he was telling me about his first book. He's, he just released his second book, and I think he's self-published the second mm-hmm. time around. The first time around, he's published by HarperCollins. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm a huge business book reader. I mean, you can't see it, but I'm surrounded by bookshelves uh, below me, and I, I read a ton of stuff. Even I didn't know, I mean, I knew the name. I knew the imprint HarperCollins. I did not know that they only release about a handful of business books per year. So it's extremely sure. prestigious to get published by HarperCollins. I had no idea and I'm a huge right. reader. So right. yeah, that, that's why I'm curious because it's, I, I can see, I can see a, a, a smaller segment of the population paying a lot of attention to it and, yeah. and everybody else needing it to be explained um, right. who McGraw Hill is and why, why they should understand that it's important that you're published by that, by that house. Yeah. No, no, what, what we're talking about here, what I'm talking about, because that's my clientele are business experts who yeah. want to get published. And so I said McGraw-Hill is the best-known business publisher. But when you, when you introduce what a lot of people would, would probably think is that HarperCollins, Random House, Simon & Schuster, those are names that everyone's heard of, but those publishers publish some business books, but relatively few compared to McGraw Hill. Mm-hmm. So, um, and everybody can't be published by the big name publishers. Yeah. It's, just, it's not mathematically possible. Yeah. So therefore, um, I think what it is, is that you get some legitimacy by being published, whether it's a brand name or not. But again, like I said, if you went to Harvard or Yale, that's something that's recognizable. But I'm going to say this also about having a book. Having a book, even if you self-publish a book, and when you self-publish, you can create your own publishing company name, or you can just take my word for it. Most people actually won't even ask you who published your book. But even if if everybody knows that it's self-published, I'm going to tell you this: a self-published book is better than is better for you than the next person who doesn't have any book at all. Right. It is impressive to people. If you have written and published a book, whether it's self-published or not, 
There's a scale of credibility, but the, the, the lowest rung is still better than if you don't have the book at all. And that's, hmm. and that's just a fact. Yeah, I would 100% agree. Um, now, as far as uh, I'm, I'm really curious because the you've been in the business for long enough to see what the book publishing business and especially the promotional side looked like, you know, 15 years ago, 20, 25 years ago versus what it looks like now. You know, and we've seen those changes in the music industry. That that's a very clear and obvious example. Record labels are looking for people who already have established audiences. Yeah, and they're they're looking for people who are already at a certain level, and they'll help you get to the next level. They're they're not interested in developing talent from scratch. Yeah. So so the expectations of what you know uh, you know of what people have when they get signed by somebody has changed a lot too. I don't know that that's necessarily caught up in the book publishing world. I know there's a lot of people that feel like if they get published by a major publisher, they can relax and the promotion work is done for them. Um, what do you see when somebody gets published by McGraw Hill? What does McGraw Hill do for them on the promotion side? Uh, hardly anything. Isn't? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So I'm a McGraw Hill author. Yeah. And, um, they, uh, one great thing about them is that they're willing to send out free copies to media and, uh, you know, influencers, event planners, so that, so that I, as the author, don't have to pay for those copies, which is not always true of publishers. So they did that. That was really great. Mm -hmm. And they got me these little cards that were like yay big, and they, you know, they were um, things that um, I really, they were like postcard size, and I really didn't have any use for them, to tell you the truth, but they printed a thousand of them. So I used to give them away and put them on the tables of, uh, you know, um, when I'm out speaking and like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they had these two big, big, big posters, uh, car, uh, heavy cardboard posters. They gave me two of those so that I could put those up like behind myself when I'm speaking. And that's it. They didn't get me on any radio shows. They didn't get me on podcasts. They didn't get me on speaking engagements because publishers, no matter how big they are, don't really do that unless you've already got this mega fan base. If you're already a celebrity, they will then invest in you there. The interesting thing about this is that um, when you, in order to get a book uh, contract, you have to create a, compose a book proposal. And the proposal is the synopsis of your book idea and the table of contents, and then, of course, your background to show you're, you're expert at this. And, and, then, uh, uh, and then there's one other piece which I consider the most important piece of all. A lot of people don't know they have to, have to put in. That's the author promotion plan. In fact, that plan is probably more important than the concept of the book. Because they want to know that you're going to run it, that you're going to make this book sell, get attention and all that. You're going to find, let's say, podcasts like this one and, uh, you know, uh, uh, any venues that you're speaking, et cetera, that you're going to set all that up. And, uh, and then uh, what the, the really interesting thing, too, about that is that a lot of people come to me who have never done a book before. And uh, I can get, I've actually, and I'm not stretching this, have a 100% uh, success rate at finding a publisher for each of my clients. That doesn't mean McGraw-Hill every time. Hmm. If it did, I'd be charging 20 times more than I do. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I can find a publisher. But here's, here's the point. Um, the, um, the, 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 uh, the publisher's... Um, do uh, do not always uh, 
go for those who are previously published. If you're a first time publisher and you've got a very strong concept that hits a publisher in such a way that they say, this could really sell. And then you've got this very strong author promotion plan, um, even if you haven't implemented it yet. That can often get you a contract more so than someone who's already written and published, let's say, 5, 10, 15 books even. And here's the reason. Um, what they do is they look at the sales record of your previous books. And if it wasn't good, isn't good, then they, they say, well, their salespeople actually have a veto power over which books they publish. And, and, they, uh, and they will come out with a decision that, well, it looks like people aren't really interested in this particular author's ideas. Mm-hmm. So I've got a client who has published 26 books before he came to me. He already published 26 books. And they sold, but in smaller quantities here and there. He's actually in the Netherlands, not in the United States. And he's known around most of the globe. He does training, speaking engagements, and all of that. Hmm. Um, but he doesn't have mega, mega sales. So I actually have a harder time finding a publisher for him than somebody who's never published a book before. Because the publisher, there's no track record just to prevent, uh, or rather to uh, raise alarms. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a funny thing the way it works, but uh, this should give somebody hope that doesn't have a book that there are, it is possible to, to be published even. And I'm talking about even a McGraw-Hill. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I have good. two clients right now that we have McGraw-Hill contracts and none of them have been published previously. Oh, wow. Okay. So when you saw, talk about a really strong author promotion plan, in this day and age, what do you like to see? What do you think publishers are looking for in that plan? What are the things that actually, and I, that, that could be two different answers. I don't know what the publishers are looking for, if that's what actually works, or yeah. if those are two different things, but uh, what's your yeah. opinion on what actually works? Yeah, um, it might be two different things, but I'll tell you, uh, people think uh, everybody's all, so excited all the time about social media these days, Twitter followers, Twitter and, uh, and uh, Facebook and uh, LinkedIn and all of that. Um, if you got a really, really massive, let's say, Twitter following, then that'll, that'll get their attention. But interestingly, the most, um, the thing that publishers are interested in the most is whether or not you're a speaker. And, and that's, that's sort of like, in a way, you think of that as the old world rather than the current world, you know, that you go out and you actually talk to real live people um, multiple times during the year. Anybody who does speaking engagements uh, as for a living, for example, and does, let's say, 60, 70, 80 uh, engagements a year and has audiences of like 1,000 or 1,500, they could get published. They could definitely get a book contract because that's really what publishers still see. So that's when you say is a publisher – is what they see, what might be the reality. It's hard to say. They're, they're, they're like you and me. They're actually just human beings trying to figure it out, taking their chances and crossing their fingers when they publish their books because they don't really know what's going to happen. So when you made that comment earlier about people thinking, well, let's say they get a name publisher like McGraw-Hill, they can sit back and relax. Oh, no, that is just the opposite. 
Yeah. They require a, a McGraw-Hill would expect more from you than a lesser known publisher because McGraw-Hill being bigger has more of a stake. They have more overhead, you know, they have, mm -hmm. uh, they have, uh, they have expectations of selling more books per, uh, more copies per book than a lesser uh, known publisher with lesser overhead uh, would have. So you've really got to ramp it up with McGraw-Hill uh, if you're going to, if your book's going to stay in print. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so that that's a lot of. Well, I love it because it's a lot of inside baseball uh, and and the stuff that are that are you know like your client, probably people that are coming to you, and and of course they're coming to me too, because uh, a lot of the same people that are launching podcasts are thinking about writing a book, or maybe they already have. I've got clients that have books or the, or they're in the process of writing them. So, uh, so there's a lot of counterintuitive stuff. I, I do want to throw a little bit of a, um, a curveball question at you. If if you had if you had your ideal scenario and somebody was starting out and they had their intellectual property and they're kind of sitting in this environment now, they, you know, they don't have a huge social media presence, but they have, you know, they can put some resources into that. They could, they could come out and they could um, write a book and throw a lot of muscle behind that. They could start a podcast, but essentially kind of, they're just kind of start with a blank slate of somebody that has lots of potential and good intellectual property. Um, what are the, what are the like, let's say the next two or three steps you'd love to see them take that would get them the best results? You mean in order to convince a publisher that they 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 should be published? No, actually, just to monetize their expertise. Oh, to monetize their expertise. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, a book is really important, and um, you know, honestly, a podcast is important. So I'll. I'll throw that over to you because that's your expertise but if it have an ongoing podcast and it could build up an audience there that becomes a, you know a kind of a mini celebrity uh, situation mm -hmm. uh, where they can point to a following so that's important um, I think I mentioned to you prior in our prior conversation that I have uh, clients who uh, have an ongoing uh, podcast that they direct towards CEOs and to be honest, it's, it's not a big, big, big audience that they have, but it was, it's enough in terms of the focus and in terms of the audience that they do have for uh, a publisher to see that that made a lot of sense. So, um, so that's, um, so that, so I think a podcast, you know, like the kind of thing you do, it's a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. And um, speaking engagements, definitely they should, they should try to do more and more speaking engagements, even if they're not big, big venues or big, big audiences, just mm -hmm. to know publishers to know that uh, they are, uh, they're ongoing. I'm still talking in terms of the publisher, actually, and you told me that that's not really what you're, what you're asking for. But I think actually that's probably a good model to think of how, what a publisher, what a retract publisher, because that's a way to monetize. The idea is to get it out, uh, get the information out about you and your, your expertise. A book is a way to do it. Podcast is a way to do it. Speaking games is a way to do it. The main thing is uh, my McGraw-Hill book is called The Expert's Edge, Become the Go-To Authority People Turn to Every Time, people meaning your, your target audience mm -hmm. uh, market. And, uh, and there are uh, five pillars of thought leading that I have in there, and speaking is one, and media is another, and publishing is another. Those are the ways you put them all together. You're practicing a thought leadership or a thought leading strategy, which is the way I put it, and you become a thought leader. Uh, you don't have to be a thought leader on the national stage, not yet anyway. You don't have to be. 
but you, you have to be practicing that week to week uh, throughout every year. Uh, that's your marketing plan. Get people to follow you, to be interested in you, to come to you, and uh, to approach you rather than you. A lot of people are looking for a needle in a haystack trying to find uh, you know, uh, uh, new customers and new clients. Uh, the best thing is when you can get them to come to you. So those are the ways that you do it. Yeah, I love it. All right, well, I've got uh, one, one potential last question for you before I get to that. How do people connect and learn more about you? And if they want to uh, hire you and, and work with you on publishing, how do they get a hold of you? Okay, so you can always point to Amazon and just click my name in there, Ken Lazat. You'll find, you'll find a number of books that I've done over the years. Also, my uh, website is thoughtleading.com thought leading. It's like thought leadership. Only when I put the website together, thought leadership was as a domain was taken already. <laughs> so I put an ING at the end. It's thoughtleading.com and you can find me that way. Um, and um, um, yeah, the usual ways. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you this to, to close us out. Um, what are maybe a couple of the pitfalls when people go to like, um, when they're working on monetizing their expertise, let's say they want to sell high ticket coaching, high ticket consulting, you know, five and six figure, uh, coaching consulting packages. Yeah. Uh, is there anything you see, uh, let's, let's say they're published, they're out there speaking, um, you know, they're out there on, on, you know, making media appearances, whether that's podcasts or maybe even radio and TV and things like that. Uh, is there anything, um, any other pitfalls you see them falling into where they, they can be doing all those things, they can be published, they can be doing all the things right, but still failing to convert those people into their actual coaching and consulting, the services that they actually sell. Is there anything you've seen that they can improve on there? Yeah, the expectation that, I'm going to go back to your comment about, um, you know, I have, okay, I'm a draw hill and now I can relax. People do that with everything sometimes, with speaking engagements, with um, writing and publishing articles. They, they kind of do these things and then they, they think that uh, somehow there'll be this hopefully avalanche of, of response that will come their way. What you've got to do with all these things is be proactive. And one of the ways to do that uh, is particularly to have an email list, an e-list. Uh, all your contacts that you meet day in and day out, you put on a master email list and you periodically, at least once a month, you send out some kind of a, an e-blast. Not that's a, 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 a self-promotional advertisement so much, but an indirect ad where you use your thought-leading content. So, for example, if you publish an article, instead of just hoping that those, whoever subscribes to the um, publication will come your way, get the word out that you've just published that article. Mm -hmm. uh, have a link to the article, have an announcement, uh, have a teaser, uh, first few paragraphs, put it on your website, drive traffic to your website that way. Keep letting your network know about the things that you're doing. I did a speaking engagement last uh, week, and um, in advance of it, I let people know that I was speaking in Boston, which is near where I am, and um, and in order to potentially get them to come, but also just to let them know I was speaking and here's what I was speaking on. And uh, I've got a little clip from that speaking uh, gig, which I will put on a, an upcoming e-blast just to, just to keep people apprised. I want people to know about this podcast. Uh, it's important to um, promote yourself 
not just to the great, the greater world of the mass media, but uh, not forget that the closest people that, that know you, the 250 or 500 or 3,000 people that you've met over the years, uh, they should be apprised of, of what you're doing on an ongoing basis. Because many times I will get uh, an inquiry from someone that will become a client uh, that I met maybe 10 years ago, eight years ago, because I kept in touch with them with this e email e-blast system. That's very important. Be proactive. Don't just sit around and hope that your book or your article or your speaking engagement will do it for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a very, very good advice. And I think we have a tendency to do that, which is we want to get approved by a gatekeeper in the hopes that that approval then means we don't have to do all the other things. And it's yeah. just not the day and age that we live in. It's, it's the opposite. It's interesting that you mentioned that a McGraw Hill would actually expect you to do more because yeah. they have more, more skin in the game, more risk, more overhead and things like that, which I think most people counterintuitively would assume the bigger the publisher, the more they're going to do. It's actually the opposite. Right. The more they're going to expect. So I love that tip. Um, and yeah, I wish I could give credit where it's due, but somebody said something recently that, that really helped my perspective on this, which was that they're basically your, your goal. Uh, and I think it was my business coach and I can't remember what the original context was, but the, the gist of it was this, you attack it one, one to one until the point where you hit a tipping point and then you become the person in your industry. In right. whatever right. niche that you're in. And I think that's the part that we lose sight of. It's that one-to-one -one part. We want to go straight Air Force, uh, you know, right away. And so it's, uh, the problem is you have to do hand-to-hand -hand combat until the point where you become that well-known that it starts to take on a life of its own. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of folks out there that would rather skip that part of doing the one-to-one -one stuff, the simple stuff of collecting emails, sending out messages, communicating with people in small groups, and they would rather go straight to dominating their niche. Right. Uh, and it's just, it's, yeah, it's essentially, it's, a, it's, it's not that it's not possible. It's just less likely. It's more likely that you keep up that one-to-one -one communication with a lot of people and then you hit a tipping point and you become the, the go-to person, uh, in that niche. So yeah, I think that's, um, that really helped me, you know, to kind of think of it in, in those terms. Well, you know, it's that old, old, uh, story, uh, that's been told a million times and that's about, let's say a musician that, um, it's suddenly, uh, this big sensation and, and uh, they call him an overnight sensation. He says, yeah, I'm an overnight sensation. It only took me 20 years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, Ken, this was a fantastic. So everybody go to thoughtleading.com where you can pick up Ken's books on Amazon, like you mentioned. So, and especially like if, if, if anybody's listening in my world, uh, I've never encountered anybody, you know, I, I know a lot of people in publishing, you know, I've got my, I've got my go-to gal for, you know, like Amazon bestsellers and things like that. Uh, but if you're looking to get published, Published by a major publisher. I can't recommend Ken strongly enough. Uh, he's the only person I've ever run across that has a 20 plus year. I mean, Ken, you didn't mention it, but 20 plus year track record of getting every single one of your clients published. Uh, so like I said, can't, can't recommend that strongly enough. So Ken, again, really appreciate the, uh, the time. Now, I believe that clarity releases energy. So I hope that this episode creates clarity for you by laying out a path forward in your business. Now, if you're interested in starting a podcast like this to help you break into a new industry or to establish yourself as an authority in a niche market, let's talk. We have a complete done for you podcasting service 
Uh, that is my agency that I'm building and growing. And I'd love to talk to you about what we can potentially do for you. You can learn more at pursuingresults.com to get a sense of what our service is all about. And if you're ready, if you're really seriously thinking about starting a podcast, I'm happy to brainstorm your ideas and talk about the positioning of your podcast within the market. Something that you can take away whether we end up working together or not. So you can grab a time on my calendar for a podcast brainstorm call at bookjohnson.com. That is bookjohnson.com. I just want to thank you again for listening to the show, for leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes, and more importantly, for investing your time, your energy, your attention into the show. It really means the world to me that you would do that. So again, this is the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine, and we'll see you on the next episode.